there's a phrase, it's called uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. When and where that phrase came into being is widely uncertain. However, it can be traced back as far as in written literature, uh, it can be traced back as far as 1862. 1862, there's a publication called The Christian Recorder, and in March of that year, it includes the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never break me. Other variations end like, uh, but names will never harm me. Now, while this saying might be used in order to attempt to toughen or harden a child's feeling about harsh or unkind words, the simple reality is, is this saying is absolutely not true. Words are extremely powerful. And words spoken cruelly to us or words spoken viciously about us can inflict tremendous harm. A more accurate version of the saying would be something like, sticks and stones may break my bones and your words can cut me deep. Unfortunately, there are some people that are fully aware of this fact and they cruelly throw their words around like a deadly double-edged sword. With this in mind, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm chapter 64. Psalm chapter 64. This particular psalm was written at a time of great uncertainty. It was written by one who knows what it's like to suffer from intimidating threats. Is written by one that is fully aware of the destructive slander from his enemies. It is unfortunate, but the reality is we will face ungodly people in our lives. People that will say some rather cruel and damaging things to us or about us. This particular psalm will help us to properly respond when that happens. The psalmist properly takes the first step of turning to God. Look at verse number 1. It says, Hear my voice, God, and my complaint. Protect my life from dread of the enemy. Now David would often address God by saying, Hear my voice, or, or hear me when I call. He would say this not because he felt that God wasn't paying attention to him. He would say it, because what he was expressing was of intense conviction in his heart and in his life. Now, some versions have verse number one rendered something like, Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. However, the New American Standard from which I'm reading from, and the English Standard Version, beautifully and accurately translates this verse as, Hear my voice, God, in my complaint. Complaint doesn't necessarily mean something negative. A complaint isn't referring to in this sense as someone who is griping or grumbling. Complaint is an expression about what is troubling someone inwardly. It's revealing what it is uh, that is weighing upon 
someone's heart or mind. It's as though David is saying, God, please tell, please listen to me as they tell you what's bothering me. I want you to notice as we read through this psalm that David doesn't ask God to change the circumstances of his life. Rather, he asks God to fortify his heart and to deliver him from fear. Here, here, if you can get nothing else but this next statement, I hope and I pray that you'll hold on to it. Because David realized that he could not control what other people did or what other people said. The only control that David had was upon how he would respond to what other people do or what other people say. So the psalm continues. Look at verse number 2. He says, Hide me from the secret discussion of evildoers, from the restlessness of the workers of injustice, who have sharpened their tongues like a sword. They aimed bitter speech as their arrows to shoot from concealment at the innocent. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They make firm for themselves an evil purpose. They talk about setting snares secretly. They say, who can see them? They devise injustices, saying, we are ready with a well-conceived plot, for the inward thought and the heart of a person are deep. You need to understand that lies about David were being passed about from person to person. And David knew that he was not safe. Both his life and his reputation were being attacked here. And only the Lord could rescue or deliver him. And over the course of our lives, we too will encourage people who will seek to harm us by the words that they say to us or about us. And it starts at a very young age. As a child, it can be bullies who call you names or, or make fun of you or, or seek to threaten you. As a teenager, it could be a jealous rival who attempts to turn other people against you for no other reason just because they have some deficiency within themselves. And as an adult, it doesn't stop. A, a co-worker could seek to tell lies about you in order to gain some unfair advantage over you in the workplace. Others may turn against you for, for whatever unknown reason it may be, they may seek to spread lies or even gossip about you. Some people will stop at no, nothing in order to push their agenda of destruction through. Here's a guarantee, which means you can mark my words by this. When you take a stand for the truth, you can count on being attacked by those who do not live in accordance to the Word of God. You can count on it. It's going to happen. And when other people verbally attack you, or when other people are plotting and scheming against you because you've taken a stand for truth and righteousness, there's a couple things that would do well for you to remember. First and foremost, you need to remember who our true enemy is. Our enemy is Satan. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, verse number 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. You should understand, I'm sure you realize by now, that Satan will often use people in his efforts to distract us, in his efforts to discourage us, or in his attempts to seek to try to destroy us. The sad reality is that even professing believers will often do the work of the enemy. They do the work of the enemy when they lie, when they gossip, or when they spread rumors about other people. To to the point, let me be really clear on something. Listening to or entertaining a lie, a rumor, or the latest gossip is just as damaging and destructive as the one that spreads the lie, the gossip, or the rumor. So if you're a friendly ear to those conversations, then you're equally guilty in that sin. My my word of encouragement to you is when someone wants to begin to bend your ear to to tell you the latest thing that they've heard about someone else, my, my word of encouragement for you is to stop the conversation as quickly as you can redirect them back to the person that they're speaking about. Or or better yet, ask them, hey, can I be sure to quote what it is you're about to tell me? Can I quote you as the source of this information? That above everything would surely stop it from spreading. we got to remember who our true enemy is, and our true enemy is Satan. Don't allow Satan to use you to do his work. And then we need to pray. So we know who our true enemy is. And then we need to be praying. And then we pray for for those that our enemy uses, other individuals. We pray for them and we seek to do good unto them. It's two things. It's not just praying for those that are attacking or hurting or harming us. It's yes, we pray for them and we seek to do good to them. Scripture tells us this. In fact, Jesus makes it clear in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those that are seeking to harm and to destroy you. But just so you're clear that it doesn't stop with prayer, he also says in Luke chapter 6, verse number 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Those people seek to harm or discourage or discredit us with their words or with their actions. Our response is to trust God, to know who our true enemy is, and to pray for the individuals. And as we pray for them and for God's blessings upon their lives, we seek for opportunities in which that we can do something good for them and to them so that we can display the love and the grace of our Father. David knew exactly what the enemy was saying and doing. In fact, turn with me in your Bibles real quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to come back and finish up Psalm 64, so keep your place there. 
the second corinthians chapter two here's here's my point david knows exactly what his enemy is saying and what the enemy is trying to do he knows the strategy of the enemy and so we need to know the strategy of satan when he seeks to try to attack us Paul understands equally the importance of knowing the strategy of of the evil one. That we should know his strategy, we should know his schemes. That's why he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll begin in verse number 1. He says, but I determined this for my own sake, that it would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad but the one whom I've made sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote you, so that when I come... I would not have sorrow for those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. David, I mean, Paul is seeking to correct behaviors in a church that were dishonoring God, and he's doing so out of a great love for the people. He's not trying to point out their problems just to make them miserable. He's trying to point out their problems and the deficiencies to lead them to a repentance and, and a road of, of seeking to grow in righteousness. And so this is his, his heart is being expressed here. And it says in verse number five, but if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order to say, not to say too much, to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was afflicted by the majority. So that on the contrary, you should, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for the sake, for your sake in the presence of Christ. And then verse number 11, he writes and he says, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant of, of his plans, uh, of his strategies. And, and so what do we know about Satan and his schemes and in, of his strategies? We know certain things by what the Word of God tells us. We know that he's referred to as a lion uh, seeking someone to devour. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 8 says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So, so as a lion, he comes to devour, and as a serpent, he comes to destroy. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. So, so he, he's, a, he's a serpent with great deception. But Revelation 12 goes on to say that one of his most effective 
weapons as the deceiver is that of accusation. It says in verse number 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Satan has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Oh, friends, it's important that we understand who our enemy is. That we understand that our enemy, Satan, is not going about his schemes lightly. He is searching. He is seeking. He is scheming. He is plotting. He is doing all that he can to put his eyes on the Christ follower who is of great threat to his kingdom, his agenda, and he is seeking someone to devour, someone to deceive. We have to understand that this thing that we call life is not something to be taken lightly. Lives are at stake. Souls hang in the balance. As a Christ follower, we must understand that when we take a stand for the truth, for the Word of God, then the enemy will see that as a threat and will bring his arsenal to attack the one who speaks the truth. When that happens, back to Psalm 64, when, not if, when that happens, we need to turn to God and we need to trust in God. David compares his enemies' tongues to swords. He compares their words to arrows. They also set traps for him. They were confident that nobody knew what they were doing. Nobody, including even the Lord. Psalm 64, verse number 7. Then it says, but God will shoot an arrow at them. Suddenly, they will be wounded. So they will make him stumble. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake their heads. Which means in all of their scheming, and all of their gloating, David's enemy has overlooked a crucial fact. That God knows everything that we think. God, God hears everything that we say. God sees everything that we do. No matter how carefully we try to keep it hidden from Him, God sees it, He knows it, He hears it all. Proverbs chapter 15, verse number 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. So as His enemies launch their arrows at David, God, in response, shoots His arrow of righteousness right back at the enemies. In his perfect justice, God made sure that their evil schemes that were plotted against David fell right back onto themselves. Their accusations and slander would ultimately backfire. Their supporters would flee, shaking their heads in contempt. Not only that, look at verse number 9. Verse number 9 says, Then all people will fear, and they will declare the work of God. So as the nation watched the defeat of David's enemies, they were filled with fear. And as a result, 
they would acknowledge God and proclaim His mighty works. I've heard it said that if, if you can explain what's going on, then the Lord didn't do it. I, I like that to, to an extent. What it's saying is that faith expects uh, to see God do the impossible. And, and the nation here has the new fear of the Lord because the nation saw sin get judged. The nation beheld as their king was vindicated. And so they would now consider what they had witnessed. And when they did, they would discover that our God was all-knowing. Our God is perfectly just. When evildoers rise up against God's will and against God's people, God will settle the matter. God will settle the matter in accordance to His time and in accordance to His plan. God will take care of it in the end. That's why we're to turn to Him. Because we can trust that He will do what is right. And when we continue to live righteously, we will prevail over the lies, over the rumors, over the schemes of others. Proverbs 64.10 says, The righteous person will be glad in the Lord and take refuge in Him. And all the upright in heart will boast. Boasting not in and of themselves, but boasting, but boasting in the Lord. So as hard as we may try, we cannot stop other people from trying to damage or to destroy us with their words or with their actions. But, in the midst of it all, we can find comfort and guidance from the Word of God. In fact, let, since you're already open to Psalm, turn back, if you would, to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37, the entire psalm, is a beautiful psalm uh, to read and to pray through and to study, especially when you feel overwhelmed by the schemes of the enemy. Let me just highlight a, a, a couple of things and then I'll be done. Look, look there in verse number 1. It starts off, Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. Don't get worked up over what appears to be the success of un, uh, unrighteous individuals. Don't get all worked up over that. Don't, don't get all bent out of shape. Like, don't, don't fret about it. And he says in verse number 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Verse number 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. Verse number 5, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. Verse 7, Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Again, do not fret. Look at verse number 8. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Again, do not fret. I mean, how, how many of just a show of hands real quick, how many of us would be well to just take this advice right now and apply it into our lives? Right? I mean, don't fret. Don't worry. Don't get worked up. Don't be envious. Trust the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently in Him. Look at verse number, go to verse number 27. 
Depart from evil. So don't have anything to do with it. Depart from evil and do what? Do good. Do good. You realize that that's what you were created to do? Ephesians 2.10. You were God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which he prepared in advance for you to do. Do good. Do good. Don't get worked up over evil. Don't, don't get worked up over the, the appearance that evil is prevailing. Trust God. Turn to God. Trust in Him. Don't seek revenge. Don't be wrathful. Don't try to make corrections in your own strength. Trust God. Trust God. Delight in Him. Do good. Uh, there's others. Look at verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep His way. The psalmist concludes the beginning of verse number 39. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. They take refuge in Him. Listen, if you're in the midst of difficult things in your life, if you feel like you're going up against people that are speaking to hurt you, to harm you, to discredit you, Trust God. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. Take a stand for the truth. You don't have to apologize for that. That's what we've been called to do. Stand, proclaim, teach, preach, shout out the truth of the Word of God. And when the enemy uses people to come and to discourage, to distract, or to discredit you, don't get worked up. It's all good. Turn to God. Trust in Him. And He will vindicate it all in His time in accordance to His own plan. May you be encouraged by that. Because we're entering into a time when our conversations should be centered around the beautiful reality that the greatest gift given to anybody is the gift that God gave the world through His Son. And may we never lose that in this gift-giving season. Let's not let the, the, the holidays distract us from the beautiful truth that a couple thousand years ago, God sent His Son, His only Son, to live in perfect righteousness among a wicked and corrupt people. Perfectly righteous, perfectly just, without sin. And that son willingly gave up his life upon the cross for our sin. We deserve it. He gave himself up. It's not just Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross. My sins did. Your sins did. We're, we're equally at fault for it. But Jesus went to the cross willingly laid down his life, gained victory over death, was raised on the third day, has ascended into heaven, and one day in glory he is coming back to establish his kingdom forever. That, my friends, is the hope of Christmas. That's it. 
greatest gift. Listen, we've done something in this Christmas season. Some of you may have already received something in the mail. Many of you did yesterday. I'm sure most of you will tomorrow. But we have saturated our community with a mail out that simply says the gift of hope. On the back side of it, it says give yourself a gift this Christmas and take time out to explore the true meaning of the holiday season at First Baptist Kingsway. What a contrast of emotions there is between the words hopeful and hopeless. The Bible uses both ideas to describe our spiritual condition. The hope we have in Christ is the confidence concerning God's presence throughout all eternity. Are you hopeful or hopeless? Your condition is determined by your response to the greatest gift ever given to man. In this room, you are either among the hopeful because you put your faith and trust in Jesus, or you're living among the hopeless because you have not turned to God through faith in His Son. We're trying to saturate our community with an invite to come and to hear about the gift of hope. Beginning next week, I'll begin a three-week message series through 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. So if you want to start reading in that, and praying through that and studying that on your own. I know it seems like a rather unusual text to be using for the Christmas season, but I can't wait to get into that message with you guys next week. We're trying to get the word out. You can be a part of that. In fact, down here after church, if you want to come and grab some of these invites to personally share with family, friends, and neighbors, we'd love for you to be able to do that. Last week in our bulletin, next week, we didn't print one out this week because, uh, like you, we were celebrating Thanksgiving, and we thought celebrating Thanksgiving with family was more important than printing out a half-page sheet to hand to you this morning. So we didn't do that today. So give us a little grace in that. We'll get it to you next week. But in that, we put a challenge in last week for each of us to uh, invite and invest in three people this holiday season. Three people. Three people that you begin to pray for on a daily basis, that you would begin to also look for opportunities to tell them about the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, and that you would invite to come and be your guest to, to, um, to church on one of these Sundays leading up to Christmas. On the invite, just so we're clear, we're not trying to be Grinches here, but on the invite, it does say, uh, bring this card with you to receive your free gift card to the Lazy Heron Coffee House. So, so we want people to, to bring these cards as they come to church. And as they do and they show us, we're going to you know, redeem those cards and give them a gift card uh, of value to go down to the coffee house that's local here and to support that business and just a way of us saying thank you. But if you're a church member and a regular attender, I'm not giving you a free coffee as a lazy heron. <laughs> just call me Scrooge. But if you bring a friend, then maybe I might, right? But this is really, uh, you know, we're trying to get this word out. And this is just a series, once in a series that we're making a commitment to over this next year to saturate our community with the information of who we are and what we do. This morning, when you think about Psalm chapter 64, and when you think about how you respond to a word spoken about you or to you, are you turning to God and placing your trust in not 
pray that you will so that you can have his peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the ways in which you have blessed us, how your word corrects us and encourages us both equally, Father. We thank you for that. And Father, for this church, I pray that during this holiday season that we would have a, a proper understanding over the significance of what it is that we do, why we do it, and how we do it. Father, the greatest thing that we could ever talk about during the Christmas season is your son. May we not shy away from those conversations. May we eagerly long for and look for opportunities to share the hope that's found in and through Jesus Christ. And as we go about this week, Father, I pray that we will be greatly encouraged and that you will be glorified in all that we do, all that we say, and in all that we think about and upon. May you receive all the glory and honor that you deserve. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together. I'm going to end today with a benediction, a blessing over you. If you're a guest with us today, we'll be back at the table back there. We'd love to meet with you, to talk with you. We even have a gift to give you today, if that's your desire. I'm trying to think if there's one last announcement that needed to be made. I don't think there was. We're good? No choir. Yeah, that's it. No choir rehearsal today. That will resume next week. Okay, that was the one. Thanks, Terry. With that being said, man, may God bless you. God go before you to lead you, behind you to protect you, uh, beside you to befriend you, and beneath you to sustain you. Do not be afraid. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will always be with you. So don't be afraid. Go. Glorify God and seek to make his glory known. Amen. See you next time, church.